We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You are listening to The Uncontested an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy Pete. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. What's up, everybody? We got the whole team here today to talk about the Thunder's 99-104 to 104 loss to the Portland Trailblazers in Game 1 of the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. Guys, uh, Twitter's just a, a shitstorm right now, all day, after that loss. There's a lot to talk about. There, there's a lot of things to break down, so I guess let's just, uh, let's just jump right into it. Thunder lose the game 104-99, five-point loss. Uh, they they tried to make a push late, but Ennis Cantor can't play Cantor kind of showed up, and I think really was the the difference in this game today. Um, what do you guys think? Was was Ennis the difference? Was somebody no. else? Uh, what what was the the difference in the game? The difference was fifteen point two percent shooting from the three point line when you're shooting that volume of threes. Very it's true. not good. You if not you, good. if you shoot. 25% from three, which would be horrible, you win the game. Oh, yeah. The Thunder shoot like 35% from three for the season. Yep. If they would have shot 30% today, uh, they win that game by probably 15. And guess what? Swaggy P would have shot better than <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Swaggy P would have also been in negative just like everybody else because he sucks at defense. Yep. So... <laughs> The, I, think, I feel like, you know, so if you look at the box score, all of the Thunder starters are negative in the plus minus. George was a was a even at a zero. And then all of the bench players minus Schroeder 
uh, were a positive. And I feel like that is primarily due to that first quarter. If you take away that first quarter, the Thunder actually played a really, really good game. Uh, they outscored they outscored Portland by nine the rest of the game, but it was that first quarter where Portland just came out scorched earth and everyone started freaking out. The, the Thunder's defense kind of at what I expected really settled in and defended really, really well those final three quarters. But when you put yourself behind the eight ball that early, uh, it kind of makes it hard to come back. Yeah, it's not, tough. Sorry. Not only that, but you like we couldn't get any offense going at all. It was basically Russell, and um, he didn't. Re- I mean, he played a really balanced game, um, but between him and Steven, that was our only offense the entire game. And so when you have PG, you know, I, I pulled the stats here, but he was ridiculously cold. And then you know, Schroeder. We talked about Schroeder um, in our Slack earlier during the game. Well, you don't have any offense outside of that. I mean that's that absolutely kills you, and yeah. I, I agree with you though they they did they did play great defense from the second quarter through the fourth, but you know that's something we've kind of have seen since post All Star break during that kind of that losing streak that they had there before those those last five games that they rattled off like <laughs> I the yeah I mean the, the first quarter has killed us um, since post All Star break they kind of seem to come out um, they aren't super engaged and from there it tends to go downhill. Definitely. I think one thing that was a little disappointing today was the number of three-point attempts that Jeremy and Ferguson got because nobody was hitting them, but especially Paul George. And I know it seemed like based off the post-game comments, PG was alluding to you know his issues were mostly rhythm-based. And I think hearing that, it makes how the game went make a lot of sense. Russ was very intentionally trying to set up PG. He had 15 three-point attempts, but the problem was he only made four of them, and two of them were late in the game. Mm-hmm. But I think that came at the expense of Jeremy Grant and Terrence Ferguson because Ferguson had two attempts, Jeremy Grant had three, and I feel like if they you're made shooting... Two of the, they made two of those five, yeah? One. One of the Just five. Just one. Okay. So Jeremy, Jeremy didn't hit one tonight? Jeremy didn't hit one. Um but I feel like with those two guys, especially how they've been playing lately, both of them have been playing really well on the offensive end. I would have liked to see them get more shots and kind of share the load a little bit. We'll see how that nets Definitely. out come game I mean, two. If it helps PG find his rhythm, then that's great. But if not, then it feels like a missed opportunity. Definitely. You know who really I mean, won the game for the for the Blazers? Who? It's Ennis Cantor. Did you? And I sent that sign in the Slack. That that white lady was holding it up. Yeah, and she called him the a a rim terrorist. Did you guys see that? Yep, <laughs> that was great. You can't say that. You want to know something <laughs> promising though? Twenty of twenty three from the line. You need that in the playoffs. Definitely. Westbrook went eight of eight from the free yeah, throw line. That's Grant huge. Four of four. George six of six. Yep, that's that's big time. That's that's gonna a game will come down to that at some point. Yeah. So so there's we, a lot of negatives that we can touch on in this game, um, like Schroeder's play, like Ferguson only getting 16 minutes. Um, Five like, of 33 from the yeah, three-point line. <laughs> like like the, the horrible three-point shooting, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to read off some team stats to you guys, and then let's talk about some things that we think the Thunder did well that they can consistently do moving forward in this series. So field goal percentage, obviously that three-point percentage really tanks it. 
but the Thunder shot 40% from the field. The Blazers shot 42. Three-point percentage, Blazers shot 44, where the Thunder shot 15. Free throw percentage, Thunder shoot 87%. Blazers only shoot 78%. Thunder actually out-rebounded the Blazers by one, 49-48. They got five more offensive rebounds than the Blazers, 18-13. Thunder had more assists, 18-14. More steals, 10-8. Uh, Blazers had more blocks. They had nine blocks compared to the Thunder's four. Turnovers, Thunder got 16. Blazers got 19. Blazers actually outscored the Thunder off points off turnovers, 15 to 10. Thunder got 16 fast break points. Portland only got nine. Thunder scored 54 points in the paint. The Blazers only got 42. Foul discrepancy was big. Thunder had yeah. 26 fouls, whereas Portland only had 17 fouls. Seems fair. Um, yeah, definitely. What, what are some positives from this game that you take away that you think aren't just, Oh, the Thunder got lucky with this thing tonight. What are some things that you saw that you think can be consistent over the course of this series? I guess Taylor, let's go to you first. I'm going to say Russell Westbrook and his play. So one thing that I was uh, a little skeptical about coming into this series is obviously the whole Dame versus Russ um thing that's going on and we've seen a lot where we see russ where he kind of lets that get to get into his head like for example the whole rubio versus russ thing um last year during the first round of the playoffs last year um but i feel like during this these past five th this past five uh, game win streak where he we finished the game on a, a 5-0 stretch and i feel like that's huge um because of Russ and how he's played. And so Russ finished with a 24-10-10 triple-double, but he was 8 of 17 from the field, which is fairly efficient. And if you take out like those last couple of shots that he had to throw up, um, that's even more efficient. I thought he played a really solid game. And if you throw in like Jeremy Grant um, or Terrence Ferguson and uh, some of the uh, – Paul George, who, who, I mean, you know, I know he finished with 20 points, 26 points tonight, but he really struggled from the field. You, right. So if you throw those guys in and they're hitting the shots that they have been hitting over the past five games, the, the last five point or last five games, I think Russ has, I mean, he's going to have an incredible stat line. So I think Russ distributing and trusting his teammates is huge. Um, that's one of the biggest takeaways I took from this game because I was a little concerned that Russ was going to try and match Dame um, half court from half court three point shots, you know, like trying to go 40 points um, compared to 40 points for Dame. Um, so I think Russ playing the way he is is huge. And I just hope he continues to play the way he is. And hopefully we get a healthy Paul George. Totally agree. Totally agree. I thought Russ had a great game uh, i don't think a good game i thought he had a great game yep. and i thought that great game was due to russ's insistency on attacking the basket basket over and over and over and manipulating the pick and roll to get adam's good looks and, and i think that if russ can keep his head and continue to play that way um i thought maybe what was most impressive about russ today was at the end of the first half, he gets called for two, what I would argue, really, really awful charging calls. Real bad. I yep. think both, of, Those both of them both of them were very evidently Flop City. Flops. And and the first one against Hood was just a block all the way. 
I mean, Hood is backpedaling, turning his shoulder sideways, uh, taking the taking Russell's chest into his shoulder. Like that's a block. Like he is not set. He's not taking the contact into the chest. That was a really poor call. And then the other one on Dame, um, you know, Royce Young said it looked like Dame had a, a bruise on his cheek, but wasn't from that play. Yeah, you, you look at caught that him play. in the face early in the game when he went up. Uh, he blocked a shot and kind of followed through and caught him in the face. Yeah, so I have no doubt that he has a bruise, but it wasn't from Russell's elbow. Yeah, if you watch every angle of that drive, Russ pulls his arm over and and contact is never made, and Dame just falls to the floor. Might be from his mama for only uh, shooting nine at twenty one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it was besides like so. Russ got that second charging call, and instead of f- doing his typical freak out and get up and start yelling, like he went and put his arm around the ref and was kind of smiling, but having like a a legit conversation with the guy. That and I think if if you <laughs> when you get that Russ that under control Russ, uh, that's a really good sign. I agree. I was worried. That's another thing I was worried about just. Uh, coming into the series, series in general was that um, that Russ would get a whole lot of technicals. <laughs> and I think that's huge that he was under controlled. We even saw him like pulling uh, Ferguson back when Ferg and CJ yeah. were kind of going out there. Another weak technical. Which is awful. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. But I think that was huge. You know, Russ is obviously aware um, of where he stands with referees and also his his technicals. So I think that I'm with you, Jacob. I think that's, that's really big for him to uh, play level headed and not high head, I guess. <laughs> Any other positives that you take from this game that you think the thunder um, can consistently do moving forward? I think the points in the paint are something that will continue. Um, that was a really, really bright spot tonight. If they were to hit the threes to go along with it, we'd have been fine. And then the rebounds, uh, what, 49 to 48 uh the thunder and the blazers are both top three teams in rebounding so if we can keep a high rebounding number like that and keep them a little lower and dominate the boards in one game i think that'll be a game that we will definitely pull off a win i think the defense is another bright spot or the defense for three quarters anyway uh the first quarter was abysmal uh the trailblazers are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league and it looked like the thunder were not aware of that to start the game especially terrence ferguson i was kind of disappointed by how he started on mccollum there were a couple times where there were screens and he got lost didn't stay with him and he just was a couple steps behind on staying with mccollum and it was wide open three-pointers like dame pulling up from the logo you can live with that if he's going to do that and make them like there's not really much you can do to stop that. It's like playing the warriors. It's just part of it. You have to deal with it. But the, the open just kind of run of the offense threes were really disappointing. So it was encouraging to see the thunder kind of rectify it a little bit in the next three quarters. Uh, the trailblazers scored less points in the second and third quarters combined than they did in the first quarter, which is not that hard to do when you give up 39 points in the first quarter, but I think we started to see a little bit of a more sustainable formula. Some of that was the trailblazers cooling off, but I think a lot of it was just a more locked in thunder defense. And as we've seen, they're very bipolar this season. So we've seen what they're capable of doing against this trailblazers team when they're locked in. And hopefully we can see more of that moving forward. Yeah, what, and I think you, you will. Need, what do you need to be locked in? It's the damn playoffs. Like, oh, we're just going to come out and play the Trailblazers. We're going to act like we swept them all year. 
and not respect their game the first quarter. I don't think then, that was it as much. I don't, I don't think that was. Yeah, I. When I say locked in, the reason I like the phrase "locked in" more than like effort or care, because I see a lot of people like, "Oh, Thunder playing like they don't care." That ain't it. Because you're right; it's the playoffs. I think it's um, locked in refers to to execution, and I think it was getting caught off guard a little bit. Like I said, Ferguson, it wasn't that he, you know, wasn't paying attention to the play. He got mixed up didn't make the right read on a screen and left CJ open a couple times. And that happens early in the game. That's part of what makes game ones in a playoff series, kind of a feel out game. I think what was encouraging is that it didn't happen all game. I think if it happened all game, then you can knock him for like, he didn't care effort because Ferguson's a better defender than that. I think getting confused early and then fixing it is just part of being in a playoff series. So what's the what's the next step? What are the what are the adjustments OKC makes, and what are the adjustments Portland makes? Because I mean they're not going to play the same game for you know the next three games or four games or however long the series lasts. Totally, I think for the Thunder for defense, they have to continue to be aggressive on the pick and roll defense. Dame and CJ are two of the best pick and roll guards in the league, and that's how they got a lot of open threes in that first quarter. Uh, and I think the Thunder did a better job of that as the game went on, but they're going to have to continue uh, to be aggressive and trapping that pick and roll, which is going to take a lot of communication, which we didn't see early from them. I think on the flip side, the Trailblazers kind of alluded to this in the post game. They weren't real happy with their perimeter defense either. And while it didn't hurt them because the Thunder couldn't make any shots, I think that that's something you'll see an adjustment from them as well, that the Thunder, while they got a lot of good looks tonight and just didn't make them, I don't know if they'll get as many easy open looks in the games to come, so they better capitalize on them. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's like I the regular agree. season then. Um, <laughs> I think the Thunder generated a lot of really good looks in this game. Um, like a whole lot of the advanced stats aren't out yet. I assume they, they do them at the end of the night after the the Trailblazers game. Sorry, not the Trailblazers game, the, the Utah Jazz game. But because I was trying, actually trying to look up uh, potential assists for Russ, because I feel like that number has to be like crazy high because so many people miss shots. But I totally forgot where I was going with that point. <laughs> Something about advanced stats. Yeah, it's gone mm-hmm. now. Yep. Um, well but the said. Thunder. Oh, oh I, I was going to talk about open versus wide open shots. I feel like a ton of the Thunder's threes that they got were were open to wide open and they just couldn't convert and so it's the reason the thunder shot so bad tonight wasn't really anything that portland did it was that the thunder just couldn't make shots and and (laughs) justin i agree with you with the fact that you know portland's going to make adjustments there and so they're going to try to to take that away moving forward but i think the way you can keep those those shots open and and keep getting those is if the Thunder, especially Russell Westbrook, can t- continue to attack downhill and can continue to get to the rim and continue to put Ennis Cantor into pick-and-roll situations. Uh, Steve and Russ played really, really well at the rim tonight, and if they can continue doing that, other players have to crash in. It's going to open up shots on, on other spots of the floor. On the flip of that, I the first quarter defense obviously wasn't great, but there was a lot of those shots that on the flip side of the un, un, or wide open to open, I think a lot of the shots they made were contested shots that they yeah. just, those were good shots. How many 30 footers did Dame hit today? Yeah. Three? Yeah. I love them a lot. Yeah. From the logo. I mean, it was yeah. insane. It's, but the, that dagger, 
Um, the Thunder were coming back there in the fourth, and then uh, PG finally gets his shot going a little bit from outside, which is something else we can talk about is uh, Paul Jordan, his shoulder. But he finally gets his shot going a little bit towards the end in the fourth quarter. He gets a three-pointer, and then Dane comes down, like just a couple steps outside of the logo and just absolutely pulls a, a dagger. I don't know, you know, was it Schroeder who was guarding him? Or was it Russ? Yeah, um, and, and, and it's killer. while you're on that topic... I think one interesting wrinkle you might see from the Thunder moving forward. Number one, I think Ferguson's got to get more than 16 minutes. I think a big chunk of that was foul trouble stuff. Um, But when Ferguson is not on the floor and they have that, that Russ Schroeder, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, Steven Adams lineup out there, I'm going to be interested. Are the Thunder willing to move Dennis Schroeder off of, CJ McCollum and put Paul George on CJ McCollum and move Schroeder over to like an Al Farouk Aminu or a Mo Harkless. Obviously he'd be giving up size, but he would get attacked a lot less often unless less put the ball on the floor. I'm with you. Yeah. That's a good yeah. So you either guard him, guard them and spot up opportunities, or they're going to try to post Dennis Schroeder up. And if they try to post Dennis Schroeder up, it's a lot easier to send help defense to the post than it is um, out on the perimeter to a guy like CJ. So totally I just I, I just wonder if if that's a wrinkle we'll maybe yeah. see moving forward. I did not like when Schroeder was chasing McCollum around the court. It's just Schroeder's a very below average defender, and I just I would rather see Ferguson, like you said, get more minutes and have more burn in those situations because especially on a on a, a game like today where Schroeder's not getting it done offensively. If he's not scoring and he's not really facilitating and we know he's not defending, he doesn't really serve much purpose on the floor. Yep. Totally and with you. What it comes down to with um, Portland, you have three players. You have obviously Dam- uh, Damian Lillard with 30 points. You have CJ McCollum with 24 points. And then you have a guy who apparently you can't play in the playoffs. I think his name's like Enos Cantor. He may or may not have played with the Thunder. Well, he had 20 points and 18 rebounds. Including a a, a a nice travel dagger, dagger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that they didn't call, but was uh was pretty pretty clutch. I, I I feel like more than that offensive no that 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 travel that layup was the offensive rebounds there with like four minutes to go left in the game until right. the end of the game. Those offensive rebounds are are really what maybe won the game for Portland because I thought the Thunder were right there ready to take. I mean they got it down to one. Yep. You know, they were ready to win that game, even though they had shot horribly and then couldn't get on the glass there at the end because of Ennis Cantor. And so that offers a really interesting adjustment that the Thunder might have to make that is going to benefit Portland is if the Thunder are getting beat up on the offensive glass, you have to send more guys crashing the glass. And if more guys are crashing the glass, that's less guys that are trying to get down court fast and transition. And Portland would love if the Thunder were not able to run in transition. I think that's a lot like we saw we saw the first quarter deficit, right? Um, I think a lot of that has to do with Enos was getting a ton of off, offensive rebounds, and Russ was not getting a lot of defense rebounds. And our our transition offense starts with Russell Westbrook um, getting those rebounds. Uh, obviously, Steven boxing out the uh, the defenders, which in this case was obviously um, or the the offenders, which is obviously in this case was Enos. 
And then, <laughs> Did you say offenders? Offenders. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm confusing offenders. myself here. <laughs> the Avengers. Um, mm. <laughs> but it, but we saw Enos getting a lot of those those rebounds in the first first quarter, and that killed us because when Enos is getting those, obviously we can't push the ball in transition, and that's when we are at our best. I know Nick, like you tweeted this out uh, before the game. The Blazers give up a lot of transition points, and uh, that's really when we can attack them at their weak point. And we weren't able to do that in the first quarter um, when when it is getting those those offensive rebounds, and that kills us. I agree. Yeah. Um, Very insightful, Nick. <laughs> I don't think they're going to make any <laughs> So the biggest the biggest change that we could see from game one to two is. Uh, Paul George, what do you guys think about his injury lingering shoulder issue situation? And we actually have a question about this from Muhammad Elmi, who asks, do you think we should just sit PG in game two and try to win the two at home? I will give him both of my shoulders. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> Paul said after the game that obviously he was he hasn't shot a basketball since the Houston game on Tuesday that he's been hurt. Uh, but tonight he couldn't was lift more, his arm. Yeah, tonight was more about rhythm and that he felt good out there tonight. Like his, his shoulder didn't hurt. He just hasn't shot a basketball in a while, so it wasn't in rhythm. So if that's the case, if they come out tomorrow and they're like, oh, his shoulder hurt, is sore again because of, of playing, then that's a really worrisome thing. But if his shoulder feels okay after today, I mean, get, that, get him in the gym, get him through some practice and a walkthrough tomorrow, let him get more shots up. And then hopefully he comes back and doesn't shoot 30% from the floor on Tuesday. I mean, the, the, the shoulder thing is interesting because if it's a pain management thing, um, you let him play, you know? But if, if it's one of those things where, like, he can rest for a week and it'll feel better, but if he gets bumped, it, we're right back to square one, then, but, but there's no, like, worry about, like, further, like, damage as far as, like, tearing or whatever. Just let the dude play. Like, worst case scenario, Paul George is still the best defender on the court. I think it's much worse than they're making it out to be. Uh, I think he probably doesn't even really need to be playing basketball, but for the sake of the season, they're just going to let him ride it through because it's not going to deteriorate the ligaments uh, and maybe muscle tissue that's already being affected. Uh, I expect him to have another surgery after the season. Um, he's playing just because he wants to play. I don't think it's going to get any better because it's been the same stuff since the all-star break. So why would it magically change? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, this is where you miss Andre Robertson, quite honestly, because I mean, at least, you know, oh, well, at least you can defend at a high level. That's, that's the point we're at now because you know, he's going to be really inconsistent as far as shooting the ball. And quite honestly, P is going to shoot more outside shots and more mid range shots and inside shots than during the beginning of the season, because both of his shoulders are banged up, so why would he drive into into, into contact, risking to get the shoulders bumped again? Because he's been quoted as saying, "Hey, yeah, my shoulders are fine, but if I get it bumped, it hurts really bad and re-aggravates it. And so then, why would he go into contact it right. again? So he's going to be shooting more outside shots, just like Derrick Rose when he, you know, tore his whatever his I don't know from wearing Adidas shoes. He started shooting. He started shooting outside shots instead of going in because he was worried about his legs and his his ankles and stuff like that. So I mean, to be quite honest, 
Like I, you know, I'm the only one that said OKC was going to lose to Portland, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did because OKC had real Paul. But when they were winning and sweeping the the Blazers, when they have like kind of faux Paul, where he's going to play good defense but not really shoot anything else worth a damn because he hasn't been consistent. Well, he hasn't been high caliber shooting Paul since before the All Star break. So why would you expect any of that from him in the playoffs? Just because it's playoffs. Uh, so I think it's really inconsistent and you're only, you're looking at Russ having to put up 30 points and relying on Schroeder too much. And you're relying on Raymond Felton and you could have had Timothy Wawu Cabarro still, but you traded him off. And then Alex Sabrinas went and had some issues. So there's just a lot of things wrong with the team right now. So that's, uh, I'm not happy. So I hope, I hope Paul George's shoulder isn't the same as the Isaiah Thomas playoff situation with the Celtics where he played through all this crap. He probably shouldn't have and it makes it far worse than it could have been, and we have a whole lingering shoulder issue all offseason and next year. That's what worries me, because you have have a Houston game. It worries me, but at the same time, like this franchise has been like notoriously um, conservative with players, and I think if there was anything that there was any chance that it's further injuring something, they're not going to play him. Like Kevin Durant playing with messed up screws in his feet for two weeks? (laughs) Or like, but you had PG last season and uh, off season comes around. He has a, you know, a two liter bottle of pop uh, worth of blood. Had a whole damn Pepsi in there. Drained out of his elbow. And that's yeah. what worries yeah, but me. But I mean, like that, he had that, but it, it was like playing with that. Like wasn't, you can play with it. His, you know, it wasn't making his but, elbow any worse. Right. It was just a pain management thing. You know what I'm saying? But can you so, use lasers yeah. with that? That's what worries me. It was like, yeah. Sure, he can play through this. He can get some cortisone shots, or he can go in a cryotherapy chamber um, in between now and Tuesday. But are we going to get PG from three yeah. months ago, or are we going to get the PG from today? And that's what worries me. I don't. I don't know if he can beat. Well, the no, I, I definitely that. get that. But that's I'm saying, like, I, if it's the difference of you can play PG or not play PG, and if you, you play, play him, if you right. play him, it, like the injury is not something that can get any worse because it's just pain management, then you obviously want him to play, right? If, if it was something where it was going to get worse by playing, it, he wouldn't have been playing for the last, you know, exactly. month and a if half. It's like, if it's it, if it is a, a minor rotator cuff yeah. tear, or if it is a labrum tear where as he plays and it gets hit, it's tearing it more and more. Like I would bet my entire yearly salary that the thunder organization would not play him. Totally it's just agree. like it's obnoxious to me that if we go through this and say we somehow lose a series or we win this series because um we win the series without Paul George, and I think we should, to be completely honest with you, um, with the Blazers without Nurkic, but we go through the second round and we lose to like <clears throat> September in five or four, and the whole excuse is well, Paul George needs an operation on his shoulder. She's like, that's a little frustrating to me as a fan. Yeah. What's the you know? what's the end game? If you like, what's the end game right. of the playoffs? You're clearly right. not getting to the finals. So what's the end game is to make Paul play injured, and he's clearly a he's clearly bothered. I mean, the dude's got like KT tape on both of his shoulders. He's got one shoulder completely iced out during the entire game. Like he has four, you know, like of Russ's knee packs of ice on one shoulder during the entire game. And it's like, what's what's your end game here? Like to win the Blazers series and then just to get flamed out in the second round? Yeah, I think so. Well, <laughs> then, then, then you need to like, oh God, then that's 
then I, I really would hate that for the OKC. I would really hate that for Sam Presti. I really hate that from a PR and optics perspective. That's your right. So then, like, purpose. then the Presti I mean, mold doesn't like, work. Then we harp on right games. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, if people are saying like, well, if we don't think we can win it this year, then you would think that twenty nine teams would have tanked this year because everyone knows that the Warriors are getting another title, right? right. So like, again, if it's just a pain management thing, like he'll play through it. If if it was a Further injury to jeopardize his career and the rest of his uh, his contract in OKC. I have no doubt in my mind that that he would not be playing at all. Yeah, like they, they would they would just continue to sit him. Let's uh, let's talk about somebody else for a little bit. This isn't exactly a question, uh, more of a comment that we received from conniving KP it says Markeith Morris is absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> Markeith tonight, 13 minutes, uh, one of three shooting, O of one from three, O of one from the free throw line, two rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, two fouls. Uh, I don't, it's just kind of more of the same from Markeith. I don't feel like we've really gotten anything more than that from him since we acquired him. Do you guys have any? I thought he played decent down like those final five games. Um, I want yeah, a brother. He played. <laughs> that would uh, that would be incredible. I'd rather have Marcus. He played 13 minutes tonight, um, and just he could not find find a flow. And the thing is, like earlier this season with the Wizards, Markeith won them a game up in Portland be, from just constantly running pick and pop and stretching. Obviously, Nurkic, who's not there anymore, stretching Nurkic out, and Nurkic didn't want to step out to the three point line. But it's. He's definitely up and down and inconsistent. And I, I wonder if that's just who he is. I wonder if that's a result of not playing basketball much since Christmas time. I wonder if you get him in a training camp and you re-sign him and he's got a bigger role on the team, if if he can be more effective. You know, I, there's there's it feels like there's a lot of what ifs with him. I agree. I you know, you you bring somebody in that late in the season. And it's going to take them a while to integrate into the the culture and the system um, of a team. I think we've seen that with Markeith. We've seen him have some pretty big games for us, particularly during these past five wins. But we also have seen him just look lost. Um, for example, he has not been able to pick on the, on the defensive rotations. Um, even during his good games, honestly, he really he struggled. And that could potentially be something, like Jacob just said, if you keep him over an offseason, and he's mentioned he like in his interviews he's talked about um, you know wanting to stay with his team long term. So if you can like have him for an off season, um, that's big. But I think bring him in late in the season that's played a big part of this. But he's so he's streaky. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my friends. We, we uh, me and a couple of friends met for the game tonight or this afternoon or whatever whatever it was two thirty, and we. Um, we were watching the game and some people asked me about Keith and that was something that they were kind of saying too, is like, he's, he's very streaky, kind of like Paul George. Um, he has some games where he's hitting outside and he's able to bang down low and make some, make some shots down low. But there's other games where like, kind of like today or this afternoon where he um, can't really find the basket. So I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about Markeith, um, particularly on the offensive end? He sucks. <laughs> Trade his ass. Let's. I mean, let's play. Like, what if? Would you rather have Patrick Patterson 
getting his minutes right now, let's pretend they don't sign Markeith at the trade deadline. Would you be happier? Let's let me rephrase. Not would you be happier? Who do you think would be performing better? Patrick Patterson with those minutes or Markeith Morris as he is currently performed in those minutes? What's the difference between the two right now besides the fact that Patrick Patterson moves the ball better? And probably I was going to say, I'm like, I'm very indifferent. Yeah, I think Patterson might be a better defender, especially in pick and roll situations. Um, that's why I'm curious to, uh, that's why I was really curious when Billy put out the Keith and Patterson lineups late in yeah. the season. Yeah. And I wonder whenever Portland subs off Ennis Cantor, at one point they went with a dual Myers Leonard, Zach Collins lineup. And at one point they just went with Myers Leonard. Yep. Can you, can you steal some, some minutes where it's, both Keith and Patrick Patterson out there. I mean, you got to score Keith, during those Keith, times Keith is big Yeah, Keith is big enough to guard Myers Leonard. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, it's interesting. I wondered coming into this series without um, without Nurkic, if the Trailblazers would play small more often and if how that would affect Noel's minutes. But I'd love to see some minutes with Morris at the five. And, I, you know, whether or not Patterson's on the floor, I think it's something you could experiment with and get another ball handler wing guy out on the floor. Yeah. I'm just really curious about what this means for next year because Patrick Patterson has a player option. Does this mean that Patrick Patterson is going to be on his way out? And if it does, that would make sense. Um, if it doesn't, then I mean, like you're disrespecting Patrick Patterson's game to, like to where he's ready to play. He's been playing for the past two years and you, all of a sudden you trade for you don't trade for a guy he you know you pick just pick him up in free agency and he's literally shown you not much and honestly you prefer Patrick Patterson in some aspects of the game and Patrick Patterson is not getting the benefit of any sort of doubt so I mean like what's that say to Pat and his him wanting to make even be on the team next year so yep I I, I, I don't agree know. with that but I think Patterson is one hundred percent picking up that option because I don't see any way in hell anybody gives him a 5 million plus deal going into next season. He's, I think he takes the money. Like I would be surprised if he didn't, because I just, I don't see how anyone else gives him anything over a veterans. minimum. I mean, maybe I think we've talked about this before. Like next summer is, is setting up to be another year where there's way too much money to go around. And so there is a potential for somebody might overpay for Patrick Patterson. Yeah. But I think it either way, at this point, I'd rather see him get minutes. It's not going to happen. I think that's obvious. But I think what we've seen from Keith, it's like, okay, that was a nice experiment. But we know what we have with Pat. And while it's still not perfect, I think it is better than what we've seen from Mark Keith. What I underestimated or what I overestimated about Keith was his mobility. The dude just yeah. big. Like, I mean, you look at Marcus Morris, you're like, hey, he's mildly athletic and he can, you know, run around and keep is not like that at all. There's two totally different body styles and frames of body. And, um, you know, you look at Patrick Patterson, he moves his feet a lot quicker. He knows the defense a lot better. He's able to communicate because he knows the guys and he's a, he's a ball mover. I mean, does he suck at, you know, driving the ball and probably posting up? Yeah, he doesn't suck, but he's that's not his game. Uh, is his game to move the ball on offense and take what's given to him and also just, you know, switch on defense. Yeah. Um, but Keith, honestly, 
he's been more of a detriment to the defensive side than he really has been the offensive side. He's always late to his closeouts. He's always late to his switches. And that's probably him just not knowing the defense as well as, you yeah, know, not as, being around as, as long. because he hasn't been around as long and the communication is not there, but it's a, it's a detriment to a, a defensive team that, you know, you already have Dennis shooter there and somebody's going to get by Dennis and, PG's not always going to be on the floor with them. And then you've got other guys on the floor that like, you know, they didn't have Nader, but you're gonna have Noel there. And Noel's not always going to be there to, you know, cover your ass. And then when he is, you know, that leaves uh, the back door, the back door cut wide open. So, I mean, it's just, it's not good. Yep. Speaking of Noel though, 12 minutes tonight, 8.6 rebounds and on four of five shooting. I thought Nerland's had a, uh, a pretty solid, showing tonight which i agree he was I huge did, i didn't know really what to expect from him uh, just because he's kind of been up and down and and inconsistent throughout the season uh especially offensively there's some games where he can score you 10 to 15 points and there's some games where his floater he'll miss dunks um he'll try to do that little like 10 foot like jumper like catch and shoot jumper and just like nothing is going for him but I thought he did a really good job of rotating, using his length, and then getting buckets at, at the basket tonight. I mean, I don't think of his eight points. I can't recall. I don't think any of them were floaters or anything. I think they were almost all dunks. Dunks, putbacks, and alley-oops. So, he, had, he had like he maybe one jumper. Yeah. Um, but no, you're right. They were all very much down low. And I, I was telling the people I was watching the game with today that I think it comes down to Steven. Um, Steven staying healthy, Nerlens being engaged and finishing up the rim, and then guys like Keith and Jeremy. If the Thunder, if Billy and the Thunder decide to play small, you know those guys have to finish down low. They have to finish in the paint, um, particularly when you have Nurkic out. You have guys like you know we've we've talked about Collins, we talked about Cantor, and I don't even know. I mean, they can play small ball with like uh, Aminu at the five or whatever, but. It's going to come down to our big man finishing down low. Um, and I think Noel did a really good job about or, or really good job with that um, this game. And I hope to see him to continue to be engaged as well as Steven. So Yep. Do you think right. he'll get any more minutes moving forward? He had twelve today. I hope so. No, I do too. I, I think he'll probably stay around the same to be honest, because all the rest of the minutes, I mean, they're not gonna play Nerlens at the four. What do you guys think about some small ball? Um, playing some small ball, small ball against this team. Um, for example, like playing Keith at the five or Jeremy at the five. I think uh, you could and, play Jeremy at the five, like against a Myers Leonard or against a Zach Collins for a few yep. minutes. Um, but I don't like doing it at all against Ennis Cantor because of the offensive rebounding. He killed us. He got yeah. him with he got him with Steve on him. How much how much more can he get against the smaller guys? Oh, I don't want to find out. <laughs> That's the big thing for me. All right, let's let's go ahead and wrap this bad boy up um, because we're going to be podcasting again two nights after game two. So everybody, real quick before we leave, tell me your one thing that you think needs to happen for the Thunder to return home with a split in this series. Justin, go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the obvious one. Uh, Paul George. Paul George needs some like witchcraft on his shoulders. Put him in a in a back to tank. Shout out Star Wars nerds. Um, <laughs> do do something with him. He needs he needs recovery, and obviously time isn't going to do it. So hopefully his comments that he made today about it being less 
pain and more rhythm are true because he put up 24 shots and played 43 minutes today. So if that doesn't get you back in rhythm, I don't know what will. So hopefully that's enough to loosen him up and kind of get him back in the groove a little bit for game two. That was exciting. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening, but I'm kind of concerned. What the hell? We're about, was... to see a rob- we're about to see a robbery live on this yeah. game. Someone's about <laughs> that to would roll be the most the exciting. Rumble with, attack. With a gun. All right. Kamiar, what is what is your one thing that needs to happen for the Thunder to turn with a split? Uh, probably not shoot 10% from three-point land. Another obvious one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nick, the two big ones are taken. What are you going with? I'm going to go with uh, make Cantor unplayable again. Yes. Can we get that on a red hat, please? Put that on a hat. Taylor? I like all those, and um, I could piggyback off all of them. But two things that haven't been mentioned, I'm going to go ahead and go with. Uh, There's this guy. Hi, Summer. uh, He's a. (laughs) So obviously, what I just took from all this in the background (laughs) is the dog being a big bunch of shitheads, and uh, Summer just let them outside. So hopefully that (laughs) that kind of kind of winds down. But the two things. What was the dog doing? The, rummaging through the cabinets? They went loving it too. Well, that was summer. <laughs> Going for the ice cream in the uh, in the freezer. Yeah, yeah what was the dog doing? Freezer. She was trying to throw out all the dead bodies. Oh, <laughs> she was getting ice for her water. Jeez. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So all right, my, Taylor. What, what what's your key for the Thunder return with a split? So there's this guy named Terrence Ferguson. He's a, a second-year player for the Thunder. He had three shots tonight. Uh, I think he should get more than that. There's another guy, Jeremy Grant. I think he should be in contention for most improved player. He had eight shots tonight. Both of those guys should be more involved. They've been huge for us during this five-game win streak to close out the season. Both of them need to be not only more involved, but obviously um, hitting their shots. And I think if they can both stay out of foul trouble, um, if they can hit their outside shots, and then if Jeremy can attack down low um, combined with that, I think that opens up so much for this offense. And Russ was looking for both of them. He is playing his game. I talked about this earlier in this, uh, the very beginning of this podcast. He was looking for them. If he can t- continue to play that way, look for each of them, um, and they can hit those outside shots. And then if Jeremy can attack down low with the depleted Blazers team, I think it's a huge thing for this team. Very good. I think mine is going to be that the role players, as far as like Dennis Schroeder, kind of the Terrence Ferguson's, the Jeremy Grants, but even more so uh, Dennis Schroeder, bench players. Let's go Dennis Schroeder, Nerlens Noel, Ter- um, Raymond Felton. Those guys just have to be a little more consistent. You you can't get awful Dennis Schroeder in the playoffs and expect to win a series. He shot 5 of 17 tonight. That's not going to cut it. I think if Dennis Schroeder can have a better game, uh, the Thunder will be much better off. On that note, prior to the All-Star break, did you ever imagine yourself saying Raymond Felton being more key off the bench was going to be? Yeah. 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 See, that's a huge issue. Uh, I yeah, mean, the, the depletion of, of the bench, you know. Waiting it's, for Alex Abrinas to talk. Yeah, it should be Alex Abrinas. Instead, it's Ray Ray eat all day. All right, yep. let's get out of here. <laughs> So thank you guys for checking out the podcast. We really appreciate you. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter at the underscore uncontested. Justin is at OKC Tracker. 
Kamiar is at BoomtownRW. That's me. Nick has a new Twitter handle from what I used to say. Nick, what is it? Crane NBA. At Crane NBA. Taylor is at Taylor underscore P15. Taylor's with an E. I am at ThunderMob405. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your mother. Tell your neighbor. Maybe don't tell your mother. I don't know if she'd like us or not. But if she does, tell her to Wholesome to let us know. Christian okay. podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, like Judas. Shout out Lee. Tiger Woods. I'm going to give a quick shout to Tiger. He's back. And black. And black. I'm going to cut the podcast kind of. off there. We'll <laughs> see you guys on Tuesday. Bye. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.